0: 416-216-5910 is the number to get a hold of Savannah anytime. The email is help at dot Injurycalculator.ca is an interesting tool and helpful. If you haven't checked that out, go online and do it while we, uh, we chat here with the remainder of the show. So what do you do if uh, you're on long-term disability, Savan, and uh, your insurance company insists that you try to go back to work, but you just can't? This happens,
1: like, what, every day in your clinic or at least in your practice? John, if I had a dime for every time somebody asked me that question, uh, we wouldn't be doing this show. Let me just tell you that. Uh, yeah, this happens quite often. Insurance companies, if they don't cut you off, they're going to try and force you to mm-hmm. go back to work. And you know, at that point, what we do in our practice is we communicate with the practitioners who are assisting our clients. Uh, so, if you have a physiotherapist, or if you have a, a physiatrist, or if you have whoever a chiropractor, whoever it is. Uh, We will ask them for their opinions, and I'll tell you, their opinions and what they put down on paper uh, could make or break the case. It is extremely important that the right information is put down on paper because that is what we're going to use as the backbone of a claim against the insurance company. Mm -hmm. The stronger the opinion, the stronger the case is. And I've seen cases... Implode when you know the practitioners didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't understand what their obligations were. They tried to help, but you know, I, to give you an example, you have a family doctor who says, "Yeah, my client, my my, my patient just you know can't go back to work. That's it, just one liner." Details. Please. Well, the, the, details exactly. Well, doctor Lou, how about you tell us what happens at your clinic when you get a request like that from a lawyer? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that request?
2: Yeah, sure. And I agree with you, Savannah, I've seen it a a ton of times where, uh, you know, even some of my associates when they first start, and they want to just say, patient can't go back to work, and they want to write a quick uh, little prescription note, uh, very nonspecific, and it needs to be substantiated in evidence. And so what we do at our clinic, uh, when we're trying to substantiate someone's uh, claim, whether they can or cannot return to work, uh, there's things called functional capacity evaluations, where you essentially are looking at the tasks required for this person to live their life to do their work, and how able are. they to do these tasks now the problem with some clinics out there and with their functional capacity evaluations is their cookie cutter approaches where it's just the same thing that they're testing every person so for example it'll be like walk 20 steps holding 20 pounds well what if that person's work doesn't include that type of activity Mm -hmm. so it's very important for the the people doing these functional capacity evaluations to look at what are the specific tasks that would be required of this person Uh, and then once you've gone through those specific tasks you can actually Put those into your functional capacity evaluation and specifically test what that person would be required to do at work. And the reality is, is let's say they have to lift boxes from the floor to the ground. In that functional capacity evaluation, it's not also all or none. There might be a component of a work hardening program where, yes, this person could do of their full duties and and specifically uh, on this or that, but you can grade that because you've now made it very specific to uh, what their job would require of them, and it's all in great detail, and it would, and at the end of our assessments, we will make sure to not only say yes, they can or cannot return to work, but also give a timeline that based on what we see, when could they return to work? And if so, what the work hardening should include? How do you graduate them back into the work and not just throw them right back in and have them do the things that potentially caused the injury in the first place?
1: See, John, that's exactly what I mean. If you have uh, a, a claim that has a report that is that detailed, it's going to be very, very... hard to refute. It's it, extremely right? difficult to refute. No. Even if the insurance company gets their own doctors or their own practitioners to rebut that, again, they are facing somebody with credibility. They're, they're, they're facing a, a very in-depth uh, report, a medical opinion essentially, mm-hmm. that provides us with the ammunition we need to get the result that we're trying to get for our clients. So it's a matter of just detail, detail, detail at all costs, right? Absolutely. It's detail uh, supported by facts, supported by uh, knowledge, right? I mean, it's very important. You have uh, uh, some d- doctors out there and practitioners out there who provide comments that simply can't be substantiated, and they're just not credible. And, and frankly, when I again, when I did defense work, I would review a lot of these. Listen, there are doctors out there that all they do is defense work. They work for insurance companies. Time and time again, judges have rebuked these uh, doctors and have told lawyers, we are putting no value on the opinions of these doctors because all they do is work for insurance companies. So it's extremely important to have someone in your corner, in your patients in your client's corner, uh, Dr. Lou's patients, my clients, uh, to make sure that their cases are uh, properly uh, insulated or, or inoculated from these kinds of criticisms.
0: Don't you have to be a little gun shy uh, for, you know, the insurance company says, you know, we get the assessment, you know, you've seen Dr. Liu or your, your other doctors, your GP, we're going to send you our doctor, the doctor that's on our payroll for an assessment.
1: Right, and that right? happens all the time. And, you know, you can't prevent that from happening. You have in to fact, go, right? You have to go, exactly. Right. And people ask me, you know, do I have to go to an assessment scheduled by the insurance company. Well, most insurance policies that provide you with uh, disability insurance, disability payments, will contain a provision that states that you have to comply with their requests to see somebody on their end, a doctor, psychologist, whoever it is that they're sending you to. But that doesn't mean that game's over. And by the way, some of the do- these doctors that the insurance company sends you to may actually give you a favorable opinion. Yeah, so it doesn't right. mean automatically that you're not going to get uh, you know, your disability because they sent you to this doctor. But again, it's extremely important to have someone on your side, someone who has been treating you, a clinic that knows what they're doing, So that when the time comes and the lawyer makes a request, that request is honored. That request is uh, processed efficiently and quickly. Again, you know what, Dr. Lou, I can tell you I've dealt with clinics where I've I've requested reports from them and it took them months and months and months to give that to us. I assume that doesn't happen with you.
2: No, and we try I I mean, the biggest thing here is, is timelines and this is another reason why I do the show that I do is because I do believe that the system that we're in in terms of healthcare we're almost used to delaying everything and I think that does a disservice to getting people better. The quicker you can expedite these types of reports and get them back to the lawyer the sooner this person can get back to what they need to do there's also the psychological burden of this person having to worry about it all the time and so if you can remove that aspect from them and i think that's what you and your team do and that's what me and my team try to do is we let them live their lives while we take care of the necessary things around their rehabilitation and their legal uh matters i could not say it any better 416-216-5910
0: 416-216-5910 and help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the last couple minutes here of the show. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a quick one here. Last couple minutes of the show. Savannah, this one comes from Greg, an email. It says, I've been paid LTD for almost two years, and they're about to cut me off. The thing is, though, that my employer is paying me, but the insurance company adjuster is telling me that it will be cut off. Who's responsible for this and why is the insurer even involved if it's
1: my employer that's paying me? Okay, so this is a source of confusion. I'll try to answer it really quickly here because we're running out of time. Uh, Sometimes it does happen that the disability payments are paid by the actual employer. But keep in mind, the employer is the employer, right? They're in the business of doing whatever it is that they're doing. They're not in the business of adjusting claims, disability claims. So they will contract out with an insurance company to run the actual file. So the insurance company may be involved to the extent that they send you to their assessments, they communicate with you, that's the adjuster you're dealing with. But the employer is where the money's coming from, the disability. So in a case like this, we would have to figure out against whom the claim would be. Would it be against the employer, against the insurance company, or against both? So Greg, in your situation, contact me. Seems like uh, they're, as you said, they're about to cut you off. We're going to have to figure out, and it's not going to be difficult. I just need to review a few documents and tell you exactly who it is that we can make a claim for. But we can probably resolve your claim fairly quickly. Just a matter of clearing up confusion, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. But but, but, but that, that, that happens quite a lot. You know, these, these confusing fact scenarios.
0: If you didn't get your uh, questions through today, uh, quite simply go to mydisabilityquestions.com. You can answer, uh, fill in your questions. as a drop-down menu. Chances are it's been asked and answered by Savannah. He gets to them right away. There's also the Injury Calculator. This will uh, give you a ballpark, a range for your pain and suffering. If you've been in an accident or a slip and fall or an injury, InjuryCalculator.ca is the uh, the website for that one. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. Got to thank uh, Dr. Lou here from the Dr. Payne Show. Saturdays at noon here on 16th. 640, and you guys are flipping around. You're going to be on uh, Dr. Lou's show, the Dr. Payne show on the 29th coming up, correct?
1: correct. So exactly. You'll
0: be there. You just, it's, it's a big kumbaya moment here on 640. Everyone's doing everyone's show. So Until next time, you know how to get a hold of Savan one more time. 416-216-5910. And again, thanks, Dr. Lou, from the Dr. Payne show here in 640 for dropping by the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out, we just spoke about it in the last segment. That would be the injury calculator, very cool tool. Check it out. Injurycalculator.ca will give you a, a range for your pain and suffering. If you've, if you've sustained an injury, uh, Savannah, you know, we, uh, we, we like everything that, that you encompass on the show, whether it be, uh, the insurance side or the injury side. And you may know, uh, our good pal, uh, Luigi Nally. Dr. Lou from the Dr. Payne Show here on 640 uh, from noon to 1 on Saturdays. He uh, decided to come in and sit with you guys so you guys can chat, get the brain power. I'll just back up over here in a corner (laughs) and let you guys go for it. Now, we're going to get to you, uh, Dr. Lou, in just a minute. But I want to ask you, um, having witnesses slip and fall, how important that is when it happens. We've talked about uh, taking pictures, having documentation, having witnesses, all that stuff. Speak to that. Right.
1: So slip and falls, trip and falls, that happens not only in the winter season, it happens uh, year-round. And people often ask me, "Well, okay, I didn't have any witnesses with me. I, I you know, I was really injured. I broke something. Mm-hmm. I tore my shoulder. I don't have any any witnesses. You know, what do I do? How do I prove that this in fact happened? There are different ways of doing so. Let me put my defense lawyer's hat on for a second and tell you uh, some problems in some of the cases that I've seen in the past. The biggest hurdle that I have seen, and I've been able to defend successfully, uh, in a slip and fall case is when someone had no witnesses, there were no photographs, but more importantly, they waited for a long time before getting treatments, Mm -hmm. right? So the person comes back three months later saying, I slipped and fell on this puddle, and I'm looking at their medical records, I'm looking at the clinic's records of where they end up going, and the first notation that mentions a fall or any injury is two months post-accident. Well, what does that tell me? It tells me that there is something suspicious here. The other thing that it tells me, depending on the clinic they go to, is whether or not there is legitimacy to the claim because some clinics are not, you know, quote-unquote, kosher, okay? You have to be very, very careful on who you go to. And insurance companies are very aware of which clinics uh, have some things that are not necessarily... uh, Above board. Above board, exactly. You have to be very careful. And so going to the right clinic right after an accident is extremely important okay. uh, they'll first of all be able to provide you with the treatments you need diagnose you with the injuries that you have but more importantly from what well, not more importantly but as importantly from a legal standpoint it provides contemporaneous records it allows us right. to then prove that this person is telling the truth because why else would they be going to a clinic right. to complain about this knee injury or ankle injury or back injury uh, so but, but one of the things and, and I'm really happy that dr. Lewis here is you know, to talk about, well, what should you be looking for when you're looking for a clinic? Why should people come to you? Because I can tell you, I've dealt with a lot of clinics in the past and, and some of them were great to deal with. They were very responsive. They really cared about the patients. And mm-hmm. some of them, you know, you could just get a sense that really all they cared about is the money and billing insurance companies. And that did not bode well for my clients.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's that's a good point, Savannah, with, uh, with a lot of times when we get patients, uh, patients have either been somewhere else or they'll end up at our clinic. And when You know, like you mentioned, and like you were just talking about with clinics that have a bad reputation with insurance company, that's never going to go along well uh, because they're doing some type of fraudulent activity or they've done it in the past. And so that never looks good. But even for how do you prove an injury? How do you prove an injury is, is like you said, you have to get that treatment right away. You have to go get assessed. And another important thing with credibility of clinics is when they're initially assessing that injury. That assessment should probably be longer than most regular assessments, especially if you're going somewhere and you're, you're an existing patient there. It shouldn't be that regular, oh, hey, John, why are you here today? Oh, you know, I slipped and I fell today at a store. And, and okay, well, that's fine. Let's take a look at it. And you go into that regular routine of seeing that patient that you've already done. Something like a slip and fall, car accident, anything like that needs proper documentation because there's probably a likelihood that it may become a legal issue in the future and that they need that evidence. It's not just about that someone saw you you uh, fall. It's also about that there's actual credible assessment in place that suggests, yes, there was an injury that happened. It's very specific date, time, uh, the circumstances around the accident, was the floor wet, and the more specific you can get. And this is where having a good practitioner, somebody who has the knowledge to ask these questions, is going to, I'm sure, help the claim as you would probably agree. Absolutely.
1: And in fact, in some clinics that uh, I've seen some clients go to and report back to me on, You know, they'll tell me, you know, that person has, uh, you know, a massage therapist, but they don't have a chiropractor or they have this or they don't have that. And and that creates a problem because then they're asking me, well, can I refer them to someone else? So, in other words, just having enough uh, of the expertise in the one clinic is so crucial, so important because not all modalities help everyone.
2: That's right. And I think... I think when you look at these solo clinics that just have one type of professional, the other thing is that if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. And so if you are just that solo massage therapy clinic, you're likely going to think that everything is amenable to that massage therapy care but the reality is is that's where the team that I've put together is that what you have to look at is what does the person really need and whatever that need is that you either you have it in-house or you have a network somewhere to get them to what they need because you're absolutely right the the treatment modality is not always going to be the same and I think removing a practitioner's ego in uh providing good care for patients is very important and sometimes the best type of thing that you can do for a patient is be honest and say it's not something I can help you with and and if it's not something that I can help you with, here's who can help you with. And you know what? As much as I think in the short term, practitioners tend to be biased and believe that keeping everything in-house equals more money. But I think what equals more money is doing a good job. And, and it's about the patient. So I think money is always secondary to these conversations. But absolutely, I think having multiple disciplinary multiple t- uh, teams uh, for healthcare is, is absolutely essential. Doesn't it make the claim run a little easier when you don't have to go to 15 different clinics? Absolutely, a right?
1: 100%. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Liu mentioned something really interesting. He said the word honesty, which, of course, is mm-hmm. something that for lawyers, you know, <laughs> if, you tell, if you ask people, the public at large, uh, you know, what, what's, what's, what's the number one oxymoron that you're going to uh, be able to come up with? They'll yeah. say an honest lawyer, right. right? I mean, that's the reality. And, and, and we've talked a lot about this uh, in the show that in, at our firm, we specialize specifically uh, in personal injury and insurance, and employment law, nothing else. So when Doctor Liu says, "Listen, we have certain expertise." That's when we what that's that's what we focus on. Because at the end of the day, the the betterment and the health of the client is the most important thing for us. You know that goes a long way. It it really does. It's just like seeing, you know, a lawyer that says that they practice every discipline. You know, I'm a real estate lawyer, yeah. I'm a family lawyer. No, no. Y- nowadays you can't do that. You have to specialize. You have to have a certain focus.
0: And at the same time you have to have a multi-pronged approach which you do having, you know, Leo on the other side doing the employment, right? Or Dr. Lou would have with the with the clinic that treats more things. Yeah, like, and, and uh,
1: I can tell you, John, from an injury lawyer standpoint, having the right clinic Uh, keep the right notes, provide the proper treatments is absolutely crucial for advancing the claim successfully. Because there's nothing that a defense lawyer likes more than to look at the treatments at the records and say, you know what, I don't think this clinic is good. I don't think your client was getting the best Mm -hmm. treatment that they could have gotten. Uh, You know, was your client provided with these recommendations? Why didn't she follow those recommendations? You know, and oftentimes, it comes down to a discussion between the individual, the injured person and the clinic because they're they're going to rely on your practitioners yep. to tell them here's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a passive approach. You actually have to take an active role in helping these people get better.
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that I often tell patients when I recommend a personal injury lawyer is that that person now becomes part of your healthcare team, right? That that legal aspect is part of your healthcare and there also needs to be, I believe, good dialogue between the clinic and the firm uh, dealing with that patient because you need to be on the same page about what's going forward and you know the lawyers will suggest the legal advice and the healthcare professionals mm-hmm. suggest the healthcare advice but you work together as a team for the betterment of that patient
0: we'll take a quick break guys uh, Dr. Lou for the Dr. Payne show here uh, Having Saturdays at noon on 640 he's going to stick around you want to get a hold of Savannah about any of this 416 216 5910 is his number and email is help at the this is the insurance and injury law show right here talk radio AM 640 416 Six fifty nine ten is the number to get a hold of Savan, the email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. As promised, we'll get to a couple of those right now. Uh, I'll throw this one at you first, Savan. Dan from North Base says, I hear you say over and over that people should stand up for the rights, uh, it's like Beastie Boys, uh, when they're cut off or denied long-term disability, but I don't understand how someone like myself, who
1: doesn't have any way of paying for a lawyer, can fight the insurance company. It makes no sense. What do I do? Well, Dan, uh, we've spoken about this before, and I'm going to reiterate this and say it very, very clearly. Uh, you're paying nothing, okay? There's no upfront payment. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of lawyers advertise You know that they only get paid when right. they win for you or they resolve the case for you. And I've seen a lot of agreements that don't necessarily reflect that. And I can tell you that... What's a bit different about what we do is that when we communicate, it's by email, it's by phone, I'm not getting you to sign anything. So at the very least, Dan, if you were to call me, I mean you emailed me, so we're in touch, uh, we're going to have a conversation. It's probably going to last about 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15, as long as it needs to take, and I'm going to tell you what all your options are. At that point, you decide if you want to proceed or not. I can tell you right now that you are going to pay zero, nothing, if, in fact, we don't recover for you. And that does two things. Number one, it makes sure that our interests essentially are aligned. Because for every dollar that I get for you... I also get paid, right? Mm-hmm. I get a percentage of it. Uh, the second thing that it does is it places absolutely no burden on you whatsoever. You're not paying for expenses. You're not paying for fees. You're paying for nothing. Okay, But that's also a reason why when many people contact me, uh, you know, I, I have to assess the case. I have to figure out if, in fact, I can advance the case for you. So I'm not going to tell you you have a case unless you really have a case. So that's all I can say on the topic, Dan, and, and I'll tell you, I can give you the names of 10 different people, 20 different people, 100 people who uh, have dealt with me just probably in the past year, year and a half, and they will tell you the exact same thing. Nothing to worry about. Uh, you're not going to be on the hook for anything. This is a percentage recovery system, meaning that only if we recover for you, uh, that's when we get paid, When when you get your money.
0: Help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email. We'll get to one from Linda. She's a six year old too. Uh, mother from Toronto. I'll throw this one uh, first to you, Savannah. and got to thank uh, Dr. Lou for coming in for the Dr. Payne Show here Saturdays at noon on 640. He'll probably have something to say on this one as well. It says, My mother-in-law slipped on ice outside a convenience store last February and broke her femur. She had surgery and was in hospital for almost two weeks. She has a lot of uh, problems walking now and needs a lot of therapy. That is, of course, very expensive. Who's responsible? The convenience store of the city. What kind of compensation can she get for her injury?
1: Well, Linda, that's, it's, it's a very unfortunate injury, especially for somebody who is older, uh, because the injury is going to plague her probably for the rest of her life, especially if you know she had surgery, uh, she's going to have mobility issues, she may develop uh, knee issues as a result of the, of the balancing uh, problems. Dr. Luke can speak about that. I can tell you that in terms of who's responsible, we're going to have to do a bit of an investigation here. It's not always clear cut mm-hmm. who's responsible. You may be falling on a sidewalk across a store thinking the store is responsible, but maybe the city owns a sidewalk. Or maybe the city or the store hired a third party contractor, right? Winter maintenance contractor that that failed to do what they had to do under their contract with the city or the store. So, you know, you can have multiple parties, and it is crucial, absolutely crucial to make sure that you do this investigation, not you, but the lawyer, so that we get the right parties at the table. And you know john i 've been in cases where uh, we've we 've tried to negotiate settlements only to find out down the road that uh, you know not all the parties were there. That usually happens with cases I like take over from other lawyers okay? it's, it, it never happens essentially when we do these cases because we do our due diligence uh, up front now in terms of the injury itself again I, I want to I bring Dr. Lewin here because I think it 's important. This is a very significant injury, and oftentimes we are asked by our clients you know, what? where should the person go? Because they've been treated by, you know, by the hospital. Uh, they need to go to a clinic. They want a referral. Uh, so I will refer them to a clinic that I think can provide them with good service. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about this kind of an injury and, and what you see in your practice.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, hip injuries and hip fractures, especially in the femur, the femur is a very important bone because a lot of the blood marrow that we have is produced there. So it's a very significant injury injury, especially in an elderly female. In fact, the older you get it can even become life-threatening at that point um and so what tends to happen uh, with these types of injuries is once the fracture this this person was uh had surgery and the hospital's job is really to provide the surgery and then kind of stop there there are other things that when they do the surgery they're really trying to keep the bone in place so that it can heal on its own so in the initial uh perspective, what you want to do is modalities that will actually help healing. So say something like laser. So it's important to find a clinic that could offer laser therapy, because actually there's great evidence around using laser to help heal fractures. And that's going to be uh, the biggest modality uh, in that point. What ends up also happening with these types of fractures is once the fracture is healed, it's healed. In fact, the body does a great job of when a bone fractures and it heals, it actually heals stronger than originally. Uh, And what happens is that the complications factors later on about the pain around that fracture is not due to that bone anymore, but actually the surrounding soft tissue. So in the beginning, it's also very important that there's uh, some work already done on the muscles uh, to keep them, uh, you know doing what they have to do. And as the fracture heals, there's more intensive therapy applied to those muscles in the form of manual therapies, whether it's a myofascial release technique, exercises are very important in keeping that muscle healthy and being able to grade the rehabilitation. One of the problems with rehab clinics is they have a standard page printout for all their patients on certain rehab, but rehab needs to be graded and it needs to, you need to look at the individual, see what their capacity is and grade it specifically for them and then start to introduce it and progressively make it harder as need be. Another important thing when you deal with someone elderly with hip fractures is assistive devices might be absolutely Mm -hmm. essential in this where you can use these devices to uh, still allow them to move around but taking off any extra pressure and that's a very hard conversation sometimes with older people because they think that getting an assistive device maybe means that that's you know, oh, no, my life is over. I now have to use a, a crutch or a walker or whatever it is. But the important thing about assistive devices and the conversation that needs to be had is that it's a device that we're going to use, and as you get better, we'll start to take it away.
1: That's really, really interesting information. I'll tell you, John, I know, I'm not going to say I know nothing about this, but my knowledge of this area, of, of these injuries, uh, is really confined to the cases I deal with. And to hear somebody like Dr. Lu talk about this in such detail, you know, it, it sort of gives me... Uh, a faith that when when I tell somebody to go to his clinic, then I know that they're going to be taken care of because the proper diagnosis are going to be made. The proper rehab is going to be recommended and follow through. And again, that strengthens the uh, legal case. It's but absolutely it, crucial.
0: I think, it, and going back to, to your point, what you would do at, at your office, it, it speaks to how long that rehab would take and all the stuff that Dr. Liu has to do. And then there's assistive devices. This is why the pain and suffering is so small and there's so much more in the back end that you look out for right oh, that's absolutely. what they need this for
1: and, and keep, i mean keep in mind john we talked at the beginning about the injury calculator about the the pain and suffering damages and how uh, you know that amount that the person's owed for that injury can be dwarfed by the amount of money they're going to need for rehab in the future. Right. And so having a clinic or someone with Dr. Lou's expertise to be able to tell me, listen, this is what this person is going to need. We can properly account right. for all these future expenses. It's absolutely crucial. You can have somebody with a, he- with a femur fracture that's going to need $500,000 worth of expenses in mm-hmm. the future. And, you know, when I defended cases and i would see these kinds of cases uh from you know being brought by certain lawyers that are not necessarily the best lawyers out there and what they would do is they would settle uh, the pain and suffering component of the claim so let's say they would uh, get $90,000 for that and then they would sell the future care component the rehab component for a fraction of that for 50,000 for 25 when there's absolutely no legitimacy to doing that. So it's extremely crucial to have that synergy between the clinic and the law office. 416-216-5910 and help at
0: theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show coming right up. Stick around. Talk radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah anytime and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's start off, as I mentioned, um, when we left off the last break, the injury calculator. This is available at
1: injurycalculator.ca. Give me the... uh, Give me the calls notes on this sucker. All right, John. Well, this is uh, a, a tool that we've been talking about for quite a while now. It's a very innovating, uh, innovative tool. Uh, it's free. It's anonymous. It's online. It will take you about 15 to 20 seconds uh, to complete a questionnaire. Keep in mind, it's anonymous. Mm-hmm. So you're not putting in your name or phone number anything like that. And what is it? Well, it allows you to click on uh, whatever the injury is that you suffered, where you suffered it, What's your age? So, you provide this calculator with several uh, um, details about your injury. And what the calculator does is it runs through a mathematical algorithm through a database that we've inputted. And it tells you that according to Canadian case law, right? So, it searches all these cases across the country. Here is what you can expect to potentially get for your pain and suffering in terms of dollar value. So, if you got, uh, uh, for, for example, you suffered a, a back injury or, or an ankle injury or shoulder injury, you input that. The calculator may ask you for the severity of the injury. Did you have surgery or not, etc. Right? Are you okay. able to work or not? And it will give you a range, a range of what you can expect to get if you, in fact, proceed to start a claim against whoever was responsible for your injury. So, two questions: Why is there a range? Okay, that's the first question. And then, is there any other component to this? All right. So there is a range because as you can imagine, uh, the same injury can affect two different people or three different people in different ways, right? You can have somebody who has a back injury who's 45 years old, who because of the injury is unable to do certain things around the home or at work. Somebody else of the same age, maybe that person is just more resilient, so it doesn't affect them as much. So when these cases have gone all the way to court and judges have assessed these cases, they've said, you know what, because it doesn't affect you, uh, John, as much as it affected Patrick, then we're gonna give you less money. Now that may be illogical, but the point is that's what generates the range. You're gonna have different judges who assess these types of claims differently. But the key is that and this is what most people when they contact me they want to know, well what am I looking at? Is it even worthwhile to start a claim? And I tell them, listen, the type of injury you have, you could be getting, let's say, forty to sixty thousand dollars. You know, I just resolved a um, Uh, a a case, John, where the lady suffered a fairly bad hip fracture. She required surgery. She was was in the hospital for about uh, nine days, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can tell you, hip injuries, they will vary in terms of pain and suffering damages from about 90,000 to 120,000. But that leads me to the second question that you asked. Is that the only thing to look at? pain and suffering, No, it's not. In fact, when you have somebody who broke their hip had surgery, let's say that person is 60 years old, just imagine how much rehab they are going mm-hmm. to need. Just imagine what they're going to need at home. Maybe they need to be put at a home. Maybe now, you know, they have mobility issues. So you can have other components of the claim, like rehab, future care, other things like that. Attending maybe maybe even income loss. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That can be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that may dwarf the pain and suffering claim. Right, I often give the example of someone who broke their ankle and the person was doing manual labor, earning, let's say, $40,000 a year. Well, the ankle injury may get you $40,000, let's say, mm-hmm. for your pain and suffering, but you can't work for the next three years. Well, three years times $40,000, one hundred twenty grand, right? So very important to understand that the injury calculator provides you with a starting point. It allows you to get an idea of how much you can get for your pain and suffering. Any cases come through uh, from the calculator? Yeah, we get them all the time. And and, um, what happens is that when you actually go on the calculator, at the end, when it gives you the result, there is a button that you can press... Uh, if you 'd like that information to be sent to me because you 'd like me to contact you right. and that 's what happens and so oftentimes we have people who just go on the calculator you know for their own information. They'll tell their friends, their family members, which I highly recommend people do, incidentally. If you know somebody who may be of need of this information, tell them about this amazing tool. Uh, So let me tell you about uh, a couple of submissions that we just recently got. Uh, I I, I have this uh, um, uh, gentleman, uh, Jesse, 56 years old, from Mississauga. Uh, The accident cause was a slip and fall. He's indicated uh, that he, because of the injury, he's now working less hours, uh, future, uh, uh, fewer jobs, and no overtime. Uh, the injury is categorized as a leg injury, specifically to the ankle, and it's a fracture. And so the calculator put out as as a, uh, you know the the, the the amount of money, the range, as being twenty seven thousand to sixty thousand oh, wow. dollars. And again, keep in mind the range may seem large. But when you speak with me and I get more information from you, right? What impact has the injury had on your work? You zero on your daily life? Number. I can zero yeah. in a lot more. I can tell you, listen, it's 30 to 40,000. It's 50 to 60,000. What the calculator does is it tells you here's the minimum of what the cases show that this injury is worth for pain and suffering. And here's the maximum. Right. Another case that uh, we recently got uh, is from uh, this individual, Jan, uh, 59 years old, again, from Mississauga. And it's also a uh, slip and fall. This person, unfortunately, is unable to work at all as a result of the injury. The injury is to the neck area, and it's a sprain strain. And uh, it's a chronic issue that this person is experiencing. And the calculator has uh, provided information that the pain and suffering damages here would be in the vicinity of $40,000 to $80,000. Again, seems like a large range. Mm-hmm. Once I get more information, I can tell that person: is it more like forty or fifty thousand dollars for the pain and suffering, or is it more like seventy or eighty? You know, we have cases where uh, chronic pain has been assessed in the upwards of a 100, 120000 dollars. Again, it depends on how much that injury is affecting your daily life. It's nice
0: because, you know, they, they got a hold of you. Now they'll be enlightened when they realize that the pain and suffering component potentially is a small
1: part of it. And they might be, you know, owed, as you say, owed a lot more. Right? Absolutely. And again, you emphasize that word, which is so true. You are owed this money, okay? This is not you just making a claim and the insurance company chooses to write you a check. If the insurance company ends up writing you a check, if I tell you that you're owed this money, let's take that lady that I said that we just mm-hmm. resolved the case for on disability, When we resolved that case in mediation, they didn't write that check because they wanted to. They wrote that check because they knew they had to. Why? Because she was owed that money. And you do have people who think, you know what? Nah, I don't want to be one of those people. Okay, it's your choice. This is money that's owed to you. You don't want to claim it? That's great. The insurance company is going to keep it. That's the reality. We'll take a short break. We've got a guest coming up on the show. And
0: uh, the very interesting part of the show, actually, we talk about it all the time, and it has to do with the injury calculator, and that is injuries and pain and suffering that uh, people in car accidents and slip and falls get all the time. So we'll get to that. In the meantime, you need Savan's number, easy, 416-216-5910. And the email, once again, is help at Say More the insurance and injury law show coming straight up. Talk Radio, Ham 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. You need to go to hold on through email, very simple, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the injury calculator here in just a bit. A very interesting tool. If you haven't tried this one, it's uh, it's pretty amazing as we get. Well, you're not going to tell by this week, right? Because this past week, it was like 24 with humidity. It's, it's crazy. But eventually, it will be getting cold, and there'll be accidents. There'll be slip and falls. There'll be car accidents. And that where uh, you come into play very heavily, my friend, for your clients throughout the winter. And we'll get to all that with the injury calculator. But the week that was, several cases to talk about. What we do, we
1: do John. Yep, yeah. And it's, again, been a very, very busy week. And one of the cases I want to talk about is a case that I spoke about uh, a few months back. Mm. Uh, Many of our listeners will not remember because we talk about so many cases, but just to refresh your memory, this is a lady that was cut off long-term disability. Actually, she was threatened that if she does not try a return-to-work program by the insurance company, that she would get cut off from her benefits. At that point, she contacted us because she heard us on the radio speak Mm -hmm. about these issues, and uh, we contacted the insurance company and they backed off. But they backed off only for a couple of months. And then they proceeded to cut her off, which was just outrageous. It was clear cut from all her physicians who provided all the various reports and documentation that she was unable to go back to work. And uh, we started a claim. And at the same time, remember how we say that we have employment lawyers as well, right? Lior's Employment Hour, we have uh, the ability to deal both with employment issues Mm -hmm. and disability issues. Well, it came to the forefront in this case because this lady's employer was giving her a hard time. And so, of course, I had one of our employment law partners at the firm handle that case. Well, I can tell you, again, I, I have to be careful because both cases, the employment one, and the disability one were both resolved on a very good basis, but of course we have confidentiality yep. clauses. What I can tell you is that the employment case was literally so settled several weeks ago, and uh, her disability case went to a mediation last week, and we resolved it as well. And you know what's interesting about that case? So we were dealing with the insurance company. We gave them the medical documentation they required, and as soon as the case was transferred from the adjuster to the insurance company's lawyer, the lawyer called us up and said, do you want to mediate this? Do you want to try and resolve it? Right. Again, remember, I keep talking about this. Insurance companies will cut you off. The game that many of them are playing is that most people, they're banking on most people backing off or not doing anything, not standing for their rights. And that's not what happened in this case. In this case, this lady listened to us, listened to me, called us up, and we were able to help her. So what's interesting here is that not only... Once the insurance lawyer uh, got involved, she called us saying, do you want to mediate this? But when we got the mediation memorandum, the document from the other side, Mm -hmm. in advancing of the mediation, telling us what their position is, I can tell you that the last line in that memorandum says we're hoping to be able to resolve this claim at the mediation. So again, I keep emphasizing the point that if you're cut off or denied long-term disability, it does not mean that you are not entitled to the money. It's, it's very clear. It's, it does not mean that. So make sure you call us or email us. We'll have a chat. We'll assess your case. Within a few minutes, we'll be able to tell you if you have uh, legal recourse or not. They're really playing the odds, right? They are playing the odds. It's, it's essentially like a poker game for them. Oh. You know, one of my associates that I work with, Albert, all the time laughs at me because I'm actually not a poker player. I don't play poker. But it's exactly what this is. I keep using the analogy because if you think about it, for the insurance company, they, they, they have all this money that they're hoping not to pay out. And even if they do pay out, they pay it out after usually long fights. So it's very, very important to make sure that if you're cut off or denied, you consult me immediately. Another issue I want to bring up here is this. Oftentimes, when we resolve long-term disability claims, what the insurance company ends up doing is they pay you retroactively from the date that they cut you off until the date of the mediation. So let's say that uh, when this lady was cut off, that was, let's say, eight months ago, and we mediated today, and eight months have elapsed. So let's say that the insurance company agrees to pay her for that eight-month period. Mm -hmm. And let's say they also agree to pay uh, a future five years' worth of benefits, Well, under the law, the past amount may potentially be taxable, but the future amount is not Not. taxable. So if you think about it, the longer you wait to make a claim, the bigger that retroactive amount is, the more tax you're going to pay, right? So it's extremely important to make sure that these claims are moved along very, very quickly. And oftentimes I get calls from people uh, who say, listen, I'm with another lawyer and this case has been ongoing for two, three years. And I stop them and I say, what? Two, three years? For your disability claim, your case should have been resolved. The monies should have been exchanged hands. You should have gotten it, deposited into your account, pay the mortgage, pay whatever you're owed. No, these cases uh, resolve fairly quickly. They should not take years to resolve. What do these people do for three years? What are they living on? Well, a lot of the lawyers simply shelve the case. I mean, they just don't move them along. Either they don't have a, a system in place to move cases along properly or they just don't care. Oftentimes, people complain to me that they can't reach the lawyer. The lawyer will not return phone calls or emails. And so, you know, people are left in this vulnerable state where first they were victimized by the insurance company who cut them off or right. denied them in the first place. And now the lawyer is now returning their phone calls. So they're weak. They're weak. Exactly. Yeah. And they give up. Again, it's, it's very unfortunate because these are people who are disabled. Okay. But by definition, either they have a psychological issue or a physical issue or both, and they need help. 416-216-5910
0: and help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a bunch of emails throughout the show. And uh, we'll get into the injury calculator after a short break right here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM640.